Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige movie. Today, we're talking about the 1988 road action comedy film Midnight Run. It's directed by Martin Brest, who also did... Beverly Hills Cop, Scent of a Woman, Meet Joe Black, and funny enough, Geely, which seems oh. to have killed his career. That's the yeah. last thing he made, and he was driven into a dark hole after making it. I I looked in because I'm like, what? What? This is like that old Sesame Street bit. Like, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things doesn't belong. How did this guy make Geely? And it turns out there's a whole story of studio interference and God knows what else. But, uh, yeah. Gobble, gobble. Too much romance on uh, the set. Ben Affleck, uh, Jennifer Lopez just couldn't stop making out. I don't know. Yeah, they're too much, too many kissy faces. They, mm-hmm. they needed a, they needed a Stanley Kubrick in there. If you got, <laughs> you got besotted married co-stars, you got, you got to have a, a iron will director to bust them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's written by George Gallo, who did this and like one other thing that I didn't recognize. Um, 29th Street. So probably exposing me for ignorant rube that I am. Uh, it has a wild soundtrack, I thought, by Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Robert De Niro, of course, a man who needs no introduction. Uh, also, Jar- Jar- Char- Charles Charles Grodin, probably a man who needs a little introduction. He was in Catch-22, the 1976 King Kong, the mega flop Ishtar. Uh, you guys might remember him as the dad from the Beethoven dog films. All right. That's where and and uh, many, many, many uh, frequencies, uh, frequent ap- appearances on the Johnny Carson show where he was Johnny Carson's foil. Uh, also stars Yafet Koto as a special agent Alonzo Mosley. Uh, you will know him as Dr. Kenanga from Live and Let Die. The James Bond which, film. Dennis. Which one is that? I Yeah, uh, it's the voodoo one. Right. Okay. I pretty. I don't sure. think I've seen that one. Uh, Dennis Farina as I'm pretty sure it was part of the maybe maybe it got bumped from our it? James yeah. Bond marathon. Doesn't sound like one we would want to watch on a live stream. But well, if you're trying to find non-offensive James Bond, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. you got to take take some hits. Uh, sure. Dennis Farina. Yeah. Uh, he. You'll never guess. He played a tough talking, short fused gangster. Also, he did that in Get Shorty, Snatch, uh, Joey Pants at mm-hmm. his Joey Pantyingest. <laughs> sure. Like, this is distilled. Like, if you took if you took Joey Pants and you left him on the stove, like, for two hours, <laughs> what mm-hmm. reduced in the pan? This is this Joey Pants performance. Thick. Thick uh, uh, Joey Pants in this movie. Thin hair. Thick Joey Pants. Uh, he's in the Matrix, of course. The Fugitive, mm-hmm. Memento, The Goonies. There's a lot of movies that start with the. Mm-hmm. Philip Baker Hall, no, noted character actor. Uh, you've seen him in Boogie Nights, Magnolia, The Truman Show, Talented Mr. Ripley. All bald move, bald movies, by the way. Uh, you might uh, know him best as the Library Cop in Seinfeld. If you're a Seinfeld fan, Bookman. Oh yeah, 
We don't do a lot of comedies here at Bald Move. Um, this one was, I believe, suggested by a producer, and I had never seen it before. I quite liked it, Jim. What'd you think? Uh, I liked it, too. I was a little worried because I I don't think... It, it, Charles Gordon is like Pete Campbell to me. I don't think about him. Uh, I would describe him maybe as like a working actor because he's got a lot of roles. It's just like nothing I've seen and... And if I have seen him in it, I immediately forget him. He's one of those actors. You're right. It's funny. I watched um, a Siskel and Ebert. There was uh, I was you know doing research on this movie, and I saw a video that's a Siskel and Ebert episode where they review this, and delightfully enough, Die Hard, the movie, which Roger Ebert hated. Thumbs he down hate- for Die oh, Hard. What? Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, but they spent half the review talking about essentially how criminally underrated uh, Charles Grodin is. That might like, be fair in this. I, I think he he pairs really well with Robert De Niro in this movie. The word that keeps coming up in like contemporary reviews and interviews is chemistry that they uh-huh. have like just really it. It's a it's a tight wire rope performance to have this like where you've got this one violent character who could punch someone at any time and other person who's very punchable to like maintain that boil at a simmer to where it's like Mm -hmm. De Niro's not having to plausibly beat the shit out of Grodin the whole time and Grodin doesn't have to just be some meek you know wallflower it's 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 a it's a delicate dance and it it works it does work uh I found this movie surprisingly funny I, I would say um it's got a strange mix of like slapstick almost uh, in its situations and also very dry humor uh, that somehow combines to make a pretty funny movie. Even I, some surrealist stuff. Like I thought the the bail bonds clerk that kept suggesting donuts for celebration. <laughs> Is this a commentary like, on like the I don't know. I just thought it was like the, like the third time it happened. I was rolling, though, because uh-huh. like, what is this dude with? And he's constantly trying oh, to push. Donuts. Oh, he's going out for donuts so he can so he can update the gangsters. Right. Like, that's his thing. Oh, I'll go out. And oh, get the donuts oh, my and God. It, now that you is, said it, that's yeah, the thing. I'm fuck. I'm a fool. I'm a fool. <laughs> I, I thought that was a little bit of just like emo Phillips in this movie. You sure. Know? Like, sure. It's weird. It's I can weird see donut. it. But yeah, I, I don't um, know. I mean, the soundtrack is, like you said, uh, an interesting choice, but I feel so like that, it works in this movie. So that was one of the the, the joke, like, oh, my God. So like that bail, that was this place was just wired for sound. That FBI had it fully surveilled. Mm-hmm, the gangsters mm-hmm. were getting information from it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so I don't, I don't know. This is a, a Danny Elfman score, and I I also thought it was weird, but it starts off pretty rocking and i thought this was going to be like a neo-noir film based on the first few notes in the score because it starts off Mm -hmm. with that sultry electric guitar Mm -hmm. uh and i'm like okay i I know what i'm in for but then it'll hit you with like a banjo and a harmonica and and, Mm -hmm. and a car diving off a cliff with people in it and i'm like wait this is not what i thought it was uh, and it's like sometimes it just doesn't let up like that guitar wailing as you mentioned there's like a, a scene where like Robert De Niro is just walking down a a, a rain streaked night street at night right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this guitar is just wow 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 
I mean, just like every step is like Danny's got to be on. He's getting paid to score a movie by God, and he's going to score the whole movie. Is what oh, I'm yeah, yeah. I, uh, I kind of want to get the soundtrack and just listen to it straight through because it's got to be just this whiplash of I also of think it's tone. regional like as you because this this movie's whole arc is trying oh, to get yeah. a man from New York City to L.A. Mm-hmm. And, and by by way of Chicago and Austin, Texas. Right. And right. <laughs> as you're going, I think what he's trying to do is as you're going through the different regions, you get a little bit more, you know, bluesy and jazzy and then southern fried and yeah, yeah i think that's that what they're sense. going all right but, but I it does liked lead it, whatever. to a wild wild soundtrack i'll say it's definitely not my favorite buddy comedy i'm i'm really in the tank for stuff like dumb and dumber uh the buddy road trip comedy even well where it does you don't even have to try to deliver a plot that makes sense you're just right this it's this all about is like jokes. a dramedy i guess yeah, yeah. This this has some heartfelt moments, uh, which mm-hmm. is pretty nice. Both both, you know, kind of interspersed throughout the film. Uh, it has you know, some some like I said, slapstick stuff, some dry humor. It's it's going for a lot of different things. Ultimately, it works. But yeah, I I don't know. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. How about you? No, I I I really liked it. I really like some of the moral dilemmas like tough kind of moral dilemmas that they're talking about you know like mm-hmm. um uh, indiana jones and the frenchman uh remy you know it's like they're just about shadow reflection of each other at the end of the day and sure. uh, de niro appreciate coming to appreciate that um it's got really memorable villains because there's like four kind of main antagonists in the movie um i also like the thing i was worried about in the first 30, 40 minutes of the movie, because I'm like, well, this is a really funny movie and funny movies don't normally lead to good podcasts. I hope that there's some other stuff in here. But like, I think they got there with the Groden's care, uh, Groden and De Niro's character growth and appreciation for each other. Some mm-hmm. of the, the the moral dilemmas. And also, like, I was trying to figure out in the early goings is like, well, how is this going to be like us? Because the movie is cynical as hell. It's palette like every every cop in Chicago is corrupt and mm-hmm. the FBI would rather make their case and see justice. Like it's in, you know, in the gangsters are gangsters. Uh, I was like, man, this is such a weird tone that it's going to be interesting to see if this movie can arrive at a conclusion. Doesn't feel saccharine, mm-hmm. you know, or that's going to be a bummer because, you know, by the, you know, the halfway through the movie, I take it a shine to Charles Grodin and like, come on, you know, can't you let him go? Um, but if De Niro just did that in some kind of sap moment, it would play false. So like, how do they get to that moment? And I was impressed that the movie was able to, to get there and like, not because a lot of times when movies cross that serious Rubicon, like once the characters sit down and have a heart to heart, then it's like serious from there on out. Mm -hmm. But this movie was able to, I think really effortlessly shift tracks between, slapstick comedy more kind of like uh verbal comedy uh action mm-hmm. there's some jaw-dropping action sequences for like the late 80s here <laughs> sure that helicopter crash is amazing <laughs> helicopter yeah yeah it's, I, it's almost funny in its own right but yeah i loved it um and uh then the 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 drama and the comedy and back and forth again so um mm-hmm. i got this this george gallo wrote a hell of a script and i think martin breast uh I mean, it's, uh, that's the other thing is like, I, this isn't going to blow you away from a cinematography standpoint. No, 
I I don't know. You, you said you said Gallup wrote a hell of a script. I don't know. I think this movie is better than its script. Um, really? Yeah. Something about the chemistry of the actors. Something about like it certainly elevates it. It, it. Yeah, it takes it to a place where I don't think the script deserves to be because it's not a it's not an amazing script. It's like. You know what it is? I'm so used to maybe this is a modern movie making thing versus like older film, but I'm so used to every little thing having to pay off in the end and come back around mm-hmm. and be a callback mm-hmm. or a checkoffs, whatever. That yeah. um, it kind of surprised me that the watch doesn't really do that. It does that a little bit, but not not in the ways I expected of of modern films. And and. I don't know if that's a negative um, that that it doesn't always hit those notes or if that's like a positive because it was surprising me. But I felt like there was a lot of stuff that was in here that was kind of just cheesy and silly and just like, oh, this again. Um, like a lot of that stuff with the the other bounty hunter, Marvin. Oh, uh, it just, just kind of <laughs> feels like ah, they needed some way to get these characters back off the road, you know? That they're they're on a path here that's going to lead them to success, and then here comes here comes the obvious script doctor making their obvious change to to intercept them. I can't believe you didn't like Dorfler because that's to me <laughs> I is do, like I really do. what really made it is that uh, Joey Pants's own ineptness is what it sinks him because like if he doesn't sink uh-huh, sick. Uh-huh. Dorfler on this guy, then Robert De Niro is back in L.A. with three days to spare. Right. So, yeah. like, that's the I think the way the movie finds a way to not be saccharine is because Joey Pants deserves to go down for just his <laughs> just sure. his, just his sheer pantalonious Yeah, Yeah. He's know? trying to cheat people. He's he's kind of scum. I. Yeah, I mean, I, it's him. the artificiality. <laughs> Right, fair. That's uh, a man's it, not even trying to be good, okay? It's just the artificiality of the way that all happens, I guess. Uh, mm. To, to me, it just feels like it's, eh. I don't know. Like I said, I, I just saw the gears turning, right? Like the, the, the 80s script doctor coming in and saying, yeah, let's put an intercept here because it's too easy. Or let's, I, I don't know. I don't know. Something about it just struck me as like, eh, this was kind of like first not first draft but you know what i mean first draft material i'm pushing you hard because in that uh in that die hard review siskel and ebert got at got into it like oh, ebert's like he's just like really fixated on how stupid the cops are in die hard which is fair enough it's it's a fucking <laughs> joke like they're almost on uh-huh, the that's wrong the side and mm-hmm. Siskel's like pointing it out as like that's why that's the comedy. And he's like, Oh, you got this yeah. crazy thing where you can't follow the thing, and the Siskel's under his breath, like, I followed it just fine. Like, <laughs> like every 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 complaint Ebert's making, like Siskel, Siskel is just coming in there and be like, That's not a problem, actually. You're an idiot. Like it's <laughs> wow. uh elect- it was electrifying, Jim. I'm telling you. Wow. All right. Um Yeah, do I'm trying to think of is there anything I can say about this film? without getting further into spoiler town. How do you feel about it like as a De Niro comedy? So so I everything I read about this movie was saying like this is De Niro's turn to comedy. And I'm like, okay, it's it's clearly a comedy film, but what do you call Brazil if that's not a comedy? It's a so, satire for sure, but like 
they just—I dis- actually—they discussed this on Siskel and Ebert, and they said that the yeah that they said they cited Brazil, and they said the thing is is that in that because it's I think at this point it was kind of shocking when you'd see particularly a Hollywood tough guy, and mm-hmm. there's not much tougher than De Niro take a turn into this kind of like self-referential parody, sure. you know. Um, and they're like, well, in 1984, or I'm sorry, in Brazil, it wasn't as big a deal because he was like buried under layers of like artifice. Like he was heavily costumed, made up. He had a ridiculous accent. Hmm. Um, it's like there there was uh, the movie something was between, doing the work for him. Well, also, he had a, a shield between, you know, literally him and his public perception and the role that he was playing. Whereas this, he's essentially playing Robert De Niro's tough guy. Uh-huh. It's but just for laughs. Charles Grodin's taking a piss out of him every every single turn. Yeah, you're right, and I and I feel like this is th- this feels like De Niro trying to conquer another aspect of his film career. Whereas yeah. stuff like Meet the Fockers is like it, it it was funny when I was a kid. I don't know if it holds up because he is just playing a parody of himself. There, it's not even. He he's not even playing a role. He's almost just like I'm Robert De Niro. It's gonna be funny because I'm Robert De Niro. Let's just do yeah, this. Yeah, imagine you know? imagine showing up to your your fiance's house and I'm her father. That's the joke. Yeah, like Robert yeah, it's De Niro the entire joke in the movie as his, you know a good fella <laughs> is uh-huh. going to be you know this intimidating man is going to be your your father in law and it is a I think it's a pretty funny joke but. I got to say, I haven't seen Robert De Niro be funny a lot. I think he's been funny in a lot of his Saturday Night Live appearances. Um, mm, I mean, okay. Bullwinkle is terrible. <laughs> really? But that oh, was okay. that was terrible on paper. I mean, uh-huh, uh-huh. so, I, yeah. and uh, But I mean, like I said, I, I definitely think Robert De Niro was playing a parody of himself in this, too. It's just he was doing more. And yes. Meet the Fockers, he doesn't have to do almost anything. No, right. He he's there because he's done movies like this, right? Because people yeah. have laughed at him in the past. Uh, yeah. yeah, this this feels like he's actually trying. He's actually giving a shit. Uh, so yeah, I thought it worked really well. All right, should we get to the uh, spoilers? Yeah, let's do it. We'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause. And now back with more bald move. If you haven't seen this film, uh, this plot is Robert De Niro is a bounty hunter and he works for Joey Pants. Uh, you know, uh, people post bail and they skip out. Uh, they go get drugged back and you, they get paid by the bail money they recover. Uh, Joey Pants has bailed out an accountant that he did not know had defrauded a big Las Vegas ca- uh, um, gangster of $15 million dollars. Um, he the bail is like four hundred fifty thousand dollars. He needs to get that back, or it's going to bankrupt his bail bonds, uh, thing, uh, business. So he gets Robert De Niro and pay and, and hires him for a hundred thousand dollars to go find Charles Grodin's att- accountant character wherever he is in the United States and bring him back to L.A. in less than five days. And Turns it's supposed out to be a, he's the farthest away you could be. In New York City, and Joey Pants sells this as an overpayment of a midnight run, which mm-hmm. is a colloquial term for like just going down to the corner store for beer and cigs, you know, it's just like a, a milk run, right? Mm-hmm. He's an accountant. He's not in the rough stuff. He's, you know, not going to be expecting you coming. 
And it turns out that both the FBI, the mob, and rival bounty hunters will be constantly on his tail through planes, trains, automobiles, buses. Yeah, I think that's it. There's no there's there's no boats involved, right? No boats, no animals. Well, there's some animals. Uh yeah. Planes, <laughs> trains, and automobiles. And yeah, will he and uh, you know, um w- will he get uh, his his man back to the the to, to claim the reward um is there any moral dilemma to handing this guy over where he might be murdered in a prison uh all kinds of uh what what's why why what's what's robert Nero's whole deal what's his backstory we'll, we'll get in all that mm-hmm. um well I, I guess maybe i should get the weakest part of the movie out of the way and um, I think it's when he went to go visit his family in Chicago. It's a vital part of the script, but it's the thing that I think De Niro seemed like. I guess he's very good at playing authentically awkward father who just hmm. knows he should be jumping in there and doing something. And he sees the moment, but he doesn't know what to say. So he just kind of like pushes his lips together and the moment passes him by. Mm-hmm. But like none of that stuff registered because... I don't know. I didn't think I think the I, I don't know. I felt bad for the wife mostly and the daughter that like this guy. But also, am I to take serious about that? She is knowingly shacking up with the crooked cop. I like there's you have I, to. I, that, I mean, right. So it's like that whole 15 stretch in the movie. I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to be thinking about this? Because I'm not sympathetic to De Niro, really. Mm-hmm. I'm not sympathetic to this lady. I guess I'm sympathetic to the little girl, but sure. but I, I like I said, the movie had to go there to build a little bit of bridge between him and Groden. Um, it's just like that. That's that's the only part of the movie I felt like was a little bit of like, oh my gosh, what are they doing here? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think it quite hits the way I'd like it to, but it's all right. Can we talk? Like you said, it's necessary. Can we talk about why Groden works here? Sure. Because he's like infuriating, Mm -hmm. but in a way that is hard to put your finger on because he's like almost he's almost nothing but unfailingly polite and helpful. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's given him uh, business advice as as his accountant, which he's not Mm -hmm. his accountant. But if he were his accountant, um, yeah, he's, he's trying to like help him solve his father daughter problems. Um there's a lot a lot of stuff he's doing here that you would view as helpful it's just he's relentless you know de niro clearly doesn't want to talk about any of this shit and yet he keeps pushing and pushing and pushing that's where a lot of the comedy comes from but it's it's obviously why you know de niro threatens to punch him every other scene it's just that i i think it's telling that we know the least amount about this guy like we we get pretty deep into de niro's backstory and why it makes him tick but groden i think is allowed to be a little bit mysterious because he also think he's a, a little bit of a contradiction mm-hmm. um because he's 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 talks about all this stuff he's got all this zen wisdom but we also know he ripped off a gangster robin hood style which is insane um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we also know like this <laughs> this thing he's got where de niro is the first one to lie in the relationship sure sure I thought that was such an interesting, like, because this guy is smarter than this. This guy knows more, is is too relationally wise 
it it's like the part of the movie that made me think is like is this guy just like a fucking pathological liar like he doesn't really believe any of this stuff none of this stuff is sincere with him uh i was like kind of on the to the extent that i was almost on the fence at the end of the movie that they're going to reveal that like this was like some engineered thing that groden did the whole time to take down the mobster so that he could retire to mm-hmm. police with his wife or something uh yeah like just just so if you haven't seen the movie like i I know a lot of you guys don't listen to the movie or watch the movie first um (laughs) there's a scene where robert de niro had gotten swept into the river this thrilling whitewater scene and he's clinging to the rocks he's about to drown and he asks uh groden's character hey can you save me and groden before he does he extracts a promise like hey you have to if you promise to free me you know Mm -hmm. because i can just let you nature take its course and get away if I help you, I want to help you. I like you. You got to promise to let me free. De Niro does. And as soon as he gets out, he cuffs Groden again. Mm-hmm. And then later in the movie, we find out that this entire time they could have flown to L.A. in like three hours and the movie would be over with three days and 12 hours, four days and 12 hours to spare. But Groden pitched this whole psychological fit that he can't fly. And he's, in fact, a pilot. And. Uh-huh. De Niro is beside himself with rage that he has been giving him so much shit about being a liar, about not honoring his promise. And this whole time he has lied to him Uh, again. That's that's like psych like a a psychopath. That's like what a crazy ex-girlfriend or boyfriend would try to pull in the middle of a fight where it's like. Mm-hmm. That you, you, you find out that you they've been cheating on you for two years and they just gave you a bunch of shit for buying, I don't know, a $500 gadget, you know, and but sure, you lied to me. For, and, and, yeah, and, yeah, you yeah, yeah. You didn't know that I was lying to you. Therefore, right. you thought you were lying to me first. Yeah, it's a <laughs> psychological jujitsu that is complete bullshit. <laughs> Uh, right? but but works like in the moment if you're sincere enough about how offended you are about it. Right. So I feel like Groden's like a criminal. Ma- he might be a criminal mastermind. Like he might be yeah. verbal from uh, he might be Kaiser Soze. We <laughs> okay. just we just it wasn't from his perspective. So because he mm-hmm. just disappears like fucking Batman at the end of the film, too. True. True. Yeah, he seems to he seems to be more capable than he's letting on uh, both in manipulation and disappearance. Uh, but that's that's part of it. Right. He I think like he knows the lines he can and can't cross with this guy. Because I think there is a line where if he pushes too hard too early, De Niro will just fucking knock him out and take him in a, the back of a truck, right? And, yeah. and he'll never get another opportunity to, to weasel his way into his brain. Uh, so, yeah, he's very good at that throughout the film. And there's one How... particularly funny, I thought, scene uh, where it's improvised. Uh, as I understand it, by Charles Grodin, where I guess the director, uh, Martin Brest, just said, do whatever you can to make this guy laugh. Uh, He's talking about this guy being De Niro. Um, And it's that scene where they're on the train and he's talking about, like, the chickens that were... It's a bestiality joke, basically, um, that gets them both to crack. Talking about how attractive the chickens were back there. Uh... And, and that, it's, I almost rewound the film 15, 20 minutes to find out where what the genesis of that was. But it was just uh-huh. completely made up on the spot to crack up De Niro. Well, but it has but it does have a, a root in the film. Like when you see them pulling up to the, the gas station or whatever 
in that old shitty truck, right? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. They drive basically into a little crowd of chickens that all uh-huh. scatter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess that's like so so it's improvisation based on Yeah, it's it's a joke about like <laughs> he he's just trying to make Dadira laugh. Fucker? Yeah. Okay. They're both there wasn't there wasn't anything eyes. there wasn't anything like Daenerys even sarcastically said oh I'd rather fuck a chicken than no because no, I was no. like trying to think like where did it take that bend to it but yeah, yeah. literally just there were chickens in a previous scene but yeah I, I I don't know I think like that's part of the manipulation right getting him to laugh in that moment is is crucial to the turn they're gonna have in their relationship later and, and this, yeah. well this is really the turn like getting him to laugh is the turn. That's where he admits to himself that yeah, we could actually be friends in another in another life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of that, um, so like my favorite television commentator, Alan Suppenwall, always signed off his blog post and his, his all of his podcast episodes. His tagline is "See you in the next life, Jack." I did not know that that was from the you know this was from Midnight Run, and apparently Midnight huh. Run is his favorite film of all time. So wow, favorite yeah. film of all time. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it was like I had, and maybe Bill, maybe Bill Simmons does have a high regard for this film, but I do think now I've I've misremembered because back in the day, um, in the very dawn of podcasting, I was listening to a lot of Alan Suppenwall and a lot of Bill Simmons. I think I might have conflated the two, mm, but okay, yeah. And that's, the thing is, is that's that is a man who saw this movie at a very crucial stage in his development right like probably like, yeah. th- th- you have to see this the second that that moment hits in your life otherwise this is not your favorite film <laughs> um i it, also i think that uh seeing the next life jack is actually one of those like no i am your father where it's like that actually mm. that particular formulation does not appear anywhere in the film right luke i'm your father nope no nope, doesn't say it yeah um Gosh, I De Niro is really he's got a really funny comedic timing. And I think it was most epitomized for me. The thing that one of the big laughs I got because he's constantly delivering threats to Charles Groden. You know, he's always saying, I'm going <laughs> to throw you off this thing. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I'm going to rip your head off and bury it. The crossroads, all this crazy shit he's saying all the time. And there's this one point where like their relationship started taking a turn where like that, you know, like Groden, I think in the scene before it started to like complete the sentences for him. It's like, if you don't and he's like, yeah, you're going to beat my face mm-hmm. or you're going to stick something up here and you're going to do like, you know, uh, and there's a scene where he's trying to intimidate Joey Pants into calling yes. off. I know what you're going to say. Dorflin. Yep. <laughs> and he's like, I'm If You don't. If I swear to God, if you don't do this, blah, blah, blah. I will shoot him and drop him in a fucking swamp. And he mm-hmm. like he looks over the phone. And he's like, he like waves like no, shakes his head. No, and waves it off. And like the timing on that with the facial yeah. expression was just so fucking good. It's so it, it's funny because Gordon's standing right next to him. Right. Right. And, and yeah, he's, he's like delivering it to his face. Yeah. I, I don't mean that. I don't. Yeah, mean, I'm, I'm not, not, not really going to kill you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's perfect. Uh, th- that was maybe my favorite joke in the whole movie. Um, and it does. It relies on De Niro being like really perfect with his comedic timing. Uh, I-, I will I will say this movie is weird um, because when I think of a rated R 1980s movie. I think of a lot of cursing, but I think of something else coming with it. Like they usually have a sex scene. Like I'm thinking of like a 
a lethal weapon is about as close to this as I can think of where there isn't a lot of gore. I mean, there's no gore in this movie. This is a this is a family friendly movie from a violence angle, I think. Um, it, it's just it earns its R rating basically on the cursing alone. Saying fuck. There's no nudity. I thought that's the same wild way too that i was like because you know most of these movies in the 80s are going to do like even lethal weapon i think drops the other f-bomb and there's always something to be like whoa yeah it's like a sex scene or something right yeah or something but like there is nothing in this movie like i don't think anyone would be offended by anything except for maybe groden's uh, verbal jujitsu in the middle of their argument. No, <laughs> sure. I, the, well, that I, chicken I think... joke is. As soon as I was thinking, like, oh, this movie's only rated R for cursing, he busts out a bestiality joke, and I'm like, okay, well, well, but like, if I think if you're under the age of 14, you don't even see that as like, what does that even? Does he even say fuck a chicken? No, no. He just says there like were some so, attractive chickens. Yeah. yeah, it's just so oblique and you know this is contemporaneous with Gonzo sexing up chickens on the Muppet show every night on ABC so like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe America's <laughs> sure. tolerance for chicken fucking had been lowered by Hinson and company over Possibly. the years. I don't know. No, it's just uh, wild because I'm looking. I'm, I'm waiting for the thing that's going to push it over to R for me and I guess it's just gratuitous swearing. Like every other yeah. word De Niro's like fuck this, fuck that. Uh, same from Groden. Goddamn, whatever. Another, another one is uh when the Groden is listing off all of his neuroses where he's got you know areophobia and agoraphobia and this and uh, De Niro shoots back. Yeah, if you don't shut up, you're gonna you're gonna come down to the huge case of fistophobia. Jesus, fistophobia. Oh, yeah. so good. Silly. Um. Five minutes after this movie's over, Robert De Niro is arrested for his many, many crimes, correct? Federal crimes. I impersonating, so. Like, really impersonating an officer throughout the movie, stealing a police car. Oh, he cut a deal, uh, you know? I mean, the FBI is going to wipe it all clean because they got I Serrano. Uh, I guess. But, oh, my God, he, he commits so many I, crimes. I love... Th- there are a lot of patterns in this movie. That's one of them. The crimes that he commits just string across the country. The other thing that I love about this movie, if you really like to sit back and think... Uh, th- there's like a shower thought about this movie, but the string of, of dead vehicles that he leaves across the country is kind of hilarious. <laughs> like, he strands his uh-huh. ex-wife's station wagon in no Texas, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Throws the keys into a grate, into the gutter... Um, he, he, he leaves, oh, what is it? He, he steals an FBI car mm-hmm. and, and leaves that somewhere. Uh, he steals at least two civilian cars because the second time he does it, Groden's like, you're not going to steal this guy's and as he's stealing the guy's car. Yeah. He, he steals his, uh, ID and then his, his badge and then his car. Um, he, he steals the, the desert people's truck. And just leaves that. He steals some random truck off the off the side almost, of the road after, and leaves after Groden that. Almost stole their airplane and just like that thing maybe drove into a building. And De Niro just puts a gun on all those people. Oh, I know. It's like horrible. they come running up like, what the fuck? You're trying to steal an airplane and you're just letting it run on the field. And he's like, get back, get back. He's just got to uh-huh. like this poor, this poor old Native American uh, folk. He, he, he drives. He forces Marvin to drive his car off a cliff and crash it. Um <laughs> Into, uh, into like a, a bridge or something that there's 
a scene where the cops are chasing him and like every cop in the county is there chasing him across this off-road field and their cars are just flipping and crashing and burning. Mm. He leaves uh, just carcasses of cars everywhere in the country. It's amazing. They rob that that bar. They do under, uh, mm-hmm. as, as, as in person uh, under the guise of impersonating treasury officers. Uh, yeah, yeah, there are a lot crazy. of crimes committed. That, that's the other thing. The crime misconfiguration. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's a scam that would work if you could get your hands on an FBI badge. I sure. guarantee that would work. Although I don't know because like. I feel like all the stores are like super paranoid about kind of like they're, they're like, well, my pin says it's legit. You know? Yeah, they all have those pins there. But still, well, have like, you tried what, the litmus configuration? That's true. You, yeah, it's like we you know, I, I get your kitty highlighter didn't. But the, we're, we got the yeah, I feel like you could Buffalo. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, this was the bar owner. I don't know. Oh, guy wanted to just take like five hundred dollars out of your till because it's bad money, and oh, I'll give you a receipt. We're just gonna write on the back of an on, <laughs> a, a napkin. What the fuck? You're right. Uh, one of the other lines that I really love in this movie from De Niro is he, he's antagonizing the FBI agent Alonzo Mosley the entire movie. Uh, they've got their quote unquote inside joke uh, with the classes and they pick him up and the they're questioning is you're him. going to prison at the end <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they pick him up. They're going to charge him with all these federal crimes, uh, impersonating an officer. Apparently, it comes with 10 years for impersonating a Fed. And De Niro's like, 10 years for impersonating a Fed, huh? How come no one's after you? <laughs> oh, God, it's so good. <laughs> Slayed me. so good. Profet- yeah. look, he just stands there like, God damn it, this guy. See, that's funny, guys. I know you worked at the deal. Be funny. Mosley like slapped the bracelets on at the end of the movie, and it's like you know, essentially like, yeah, I, I told you what I had to to get you to comply with what I need you to do. Uh huh. You know? Uh huh. Um, I, <laughs> I also like how everyone in this movie. This is an '80s thing. They have finely calibrated knockout punches. Yeah. Like their right cross is as effective of uh, a sedative as anything an anesthesiologist it's like correctly administered it will put a grown adult man into a vegetative state <laughs> for two to four hours and then they'll wake up and they'll just kind of rub their head and be like oh they're, they're fine i i love that mm-hmm. it happens like five times in this movie that someone has oh, administered yeah. a finely calibrated knockout punch classic 80s staple uh yeah i love it that's one of the things we lose with all the realism in Hollywood now. You know, you lose the ability to just knock somebody out on a whim, and it, it leads we're getting, to good good plot. I think. But now we're like we're just pushing unreality into the ballet of death. You've gotten like John Wick and Peacemaker and sure. Shit, it's like that's unrealistic in a different direction. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. you don't have finely calibrated knockout punches. You just have insanely dialed in auto aim headshots. Mm-hmm. And the ability and to like basically dodge bullets and yeah, bullet or have bulletproof suits in the, uh-huh. the later movies. It's just like, well, you're just wearing a bulletproof suit so you can look good and still kick ass. Sure. I love it. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that like it's the evolution of cinema here. I really like the I thought the. Uh, what is the name? Farina. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought his henchman. Yeah. Dennis Farina's uh, henchman added a lot to this movie. Like, especially the junior grade one. You had the one guy who's like, you know, trying to do the right thing, but, you know, maybe he's not too smart. Maybe he's not too capable. But the guy he's with, it's like, you know, they let 
they let the accountant go accidentally because uh, they trusted the information. They go beat the st- and, and Dennis Farina's chewing their ass and tell him he's going to kill him. Guy hangs up. He's like, he's not mad at me, is he? And the next scene you see, he's on the phone with the boss and this guy's like shadow boxing with him. Like play mm-hmm. fighting, play slap tickle fighting with him. And he's like, come on, I'm on the phone. Uh, this I, I just really enjoyed how fucking stupid these guys were. <laughs> sure. It never got it never got old. I oh my god, they're uh, and I've never I don't think I've ever seen them anything before. They're just really funny guys. I recognize the shorter of the two vaguely, but I couldn't tell you where from. Uh, or maybe he just has generic, you know, Goomba face because uh, that's a thing for sure. I don't know. In in all of these like um, Italian mob movies, there's always kind of the the dim witted one, right? Who's just like, you're not taking this seriously enough for the situation or or you're just too dumb to get what's going on here. Here it's played for a lot of laughs. It, it, you know, it, it's like the like the Luca Brazzi of the group. Mm. The guy who's just not as it's... sharp as the rest of them. I wonder if that stereotype is because, number one, it's a criminal organization. So the idea that, like, if you're smart, you wouldn't be in some kind of criminal organization. And the other is, like, a lot of these criminal organizations we're talking about are family run. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's so you the excuse. It's the like, you got a Fredo. What are you going to do with Fredo? Yeah. You know, you've got a, a, a Dickie Bennett. What the fuck are you going to do with the Dickie Bennett? <laughs> but he's a Bennett. So, you know, like, uh-huh. it's. It's it's uh, it, it, like I, I've worked for a couple of family run businesses and they all have like some dumb fuck cousin or aunt that's always sh- fucking shit up. But sure. what are you going to do? What are you going right. to do? Like, it's going to be awkward at the family reunion if you fucking let go junior. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. I wonder if that's what it is. Uh, this guy's just the boss's dumb fuck nephew. And what are you going to do? Could be. Yeah. Because, like, I don't understand why his, like, his capo doesn't blow his head off the way he's, like, he, this, this, the first time he starts slap tickling when I'm trying to have a serious conversation with the boss who's chewing my uh-huh. ass, I'm going to <laughs> unmake him. I don't know why the boss doesn't take them both out, honestly, because, like, these guys just fuck up time and time again, right? Well, that's the thing about Dennis Farina is, like, he plays this tough-talking gangster, but almost exclusively in funny movies, like, yeah, yeah. Snatch is not a serious gangster movie. Get Shorty is not a serious gangster movie. Midnight Run, not. So he's like, mm-hmm. if you want a Joe Pesci, but someone who's actually safe to laugh at and he's not going to, like, you know, stab you in the guts a million times. And, you know, uh, you, you get you get uh, Farina. Apparently. Yeah, he's good, though. He, but, he is intimidating, but you're right in like a more wholesome family friendly way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's like a dinner theater version of, yeah, Pessy. And you know that's a niche. If you can carve that out for yourself in Hollywood, works pretty well. Thought, He's been in a lot of stuff. I thought Robert De Niro's lockpicking set was really cool. Like I don't oh, think it's yeah. it's super. I don't think it's super effective. Um, but like just this, he had this special device with this like spring loaded uh, jiggler that uh, would, mm-hmm. you know, mess with all the tumblers and locks and stuff. I thought it was kind of neat. Yeah, it makes sense from the little I know of lockpicking. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was cool. It's a way to like more reliably jiggle the pins, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's like the what's that? Uh, it's like that tool that uh, you, you insert and it just kind of vibrates the thing violently and under mm-hmm. tension. And it's kind of like a primitive version of that. But 
I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, me too. There's a lot of emphasis on lock picking up for I thought that was going to be like the his deal. But no, he's yeah. just a, he's just showing a his skill set. Ex cop with a personal and uh, private investigator skill set that's a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a freelance cop, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Um, how about Marvin? I we we talked a little bit about him, but he's <laughs> he's he's the other bounty hunter in this who Joey Pants hires to to also do the job uh, and ends up getting in the way more than helping. Yeah, uh, Pants hires him for twenty five thousand instead of the hundred thousand he's hiring Robert De Niro for. He cheats him here. Uh, but this guy seems like the De Niro that I might expect from this movie at the outset. Like he is the guy who's willing to punch out anybody who gets in his way and shoot somebody. And he he's he's backing up all the threats that De Niro is making. Uh, yeah, he he's the, seems like the tougher of the two bounty hunters in this movie, but less street smart because, like, I think, well, of course, I don't know. De Niro, I could buy. He goes Perhaps. to another city, he doesn't know the local crime, but like, you know, he's getting in over his head. He's um, but, but he's, I love he's also smart. I love the way he yeah. cancels De Niro's car, a credit card. He calls God, up the company. You're right, and it's almost like an afterthought, right? He just wants to know where he is. Uh, yeah. And he finds that out. But then he's like, oh, yeah, I can also fuck with him. So let me cancel. His right. Card. I, right. He, he's pretty smart, but he ends up getting bamboozled, I guess, most of the time by De Niro, who's a little bit smarter. That's the thing. It's like I thought that there was going to be a real like uh, Sherlock Moriarty thing, because that scene where he shuts, you know, find tracks his purchases and shuts his car down. Such a crippling blow uh-huh. for someone on the road. Um but but he gets fooled uh, a couple of times. He does, and he he always falls for that. Uh, oh, oh my God, Marvin! You know, <laughs> Look behind you, the, right? Here comes a finely calibrated knockout blow. Uh huh. Yeah, it's great. I just his name Dorfler is mm-hmm. so fucking funny. Every time someone says it, it's a treasure. <laughs> I love it. Dorfler, you keep on calling like you're wasting time. You're calling him Marvin. Like that's a funny name, but Dorfler, Marvin Dorfler. It's yeah. a good one. Oof. I like how he gets his cigarette stolen every time by the FBI agent and I don't <laughs> by Mosley. And I don't know if this is Mosley also likes to smoke because everybody's fucking smoking in this movie. That's this true. is an 80s ass. Just walking movie. around smoking in shopping stores, shopping airports. Uh, yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, airplanes, right? Like they ask when, when Dorfler tries to buy a plane ticket. They're like, do you want smoking or non-smoking? I'm like, God damn it. It's a recycled air tube. It's all smoking dumbasses <laughs> yeah i i actually didn't get a chance to fly until after the air of no non-smoking everything so i never but that yeah that, that has to be hell i must like, have it, flown it, in the late 80s because we sucked, went to like, hawaii but oh really you don't remember I, I don't remember if it was smoky or I not if international yeah. flights were like non-smoking because i feel like there was there was some flights you couldn't smoke and then domestic flights you could so maybe they counted hawaii or maybe you don't remember uh, but i just remember the hell of in the 80s going to a restaurant and requesting non-smoking and being set on the boundary yes where there was yep. a there was a lattice screen between you and the person that's on fire the next table over and it's mm-hmm. like what 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 the <laughs> fuck is are you you know i'm pretty sure i'm getting a fully mentholated experience here yeah i should have uh, had a, a room right just like put a door they on the thing i should have had a room i don't know 
that you know i bet the real thing is that there was like a less than a 20 year gap between there not being a smoking section it's just a restaurant with smoking of course it was and then mm-hmm. then being banned i bet that happened pretty fucking fast oh yeah yeah uh what other thing did i want to talk about um oh i want to talk about the the morality of this um I thought it was kind of interesting that he kept on picking at De-, De Niro's moral code. You know, De Niro was a cop and he's not on the take. And this first job, the Joey Pants contract before was the one like that's that's after he clings to that. The fact that I'm just respecting this original deal I have, even though he finds out more and more stuff about Groden and his, you know, admirable qualities and the fact that maybe he did something stupid and foolish, but it was something good. Right. Um, and there's this one point where Groden has him is like, well, I don't understand. You understand that if you give me to the cops that I'm going to be killed. Like as soon as I mm-hmm. arrive in L.A. and go in the gin pop, he's going to have me murdered. And he's like, well, I don't understand why you won't take the bigger money. Like, why don't you just deliver me right to the gangster? Because I'll still die either way and you'll get a million dollars instead of a hundred thousand dollars. Um. I thought some of that stuff was really interesting, like him breaking like because because he had such a big bug up his ass about being on the take, Uh huh. you know, like Charles Grodin give him one hundred thousand dollars to let him off. That's not going to do it because then he's, he's he goes back on his original deal. And as he laying more and more on that, like I'm just honoring the deal, I'm not being bought off. Um the the case for letting Groden go kept getting bigger and bigger up into the fact that he saves his life on I think at least one occasion if not two. Yeah, and then he does let him go in the end, right? Like that's that's the thing. Groden's philosophy has rubbed off on him that doing a bad thing for good reasons is actually the right thing to do in some cases. Uh, and sticking it to Joey Pants at some point because he's a cheater and a liar becomes more important to him than getting this hundred thousand dollars uh and and you know weighing the fact that a man's life is at stake here yeah yeah um definitely pants is a bad bail bond agent and he deserves to go out of business i think that's the other's like (laughs) i i kind of think that in absence of that maybe he still turns uh bro or groden in yeah possibly but like that's the last that's the straw that breaks the camel it's like you know what fuck this guy he's he is Uh if if he had not been an asshole i this we wouldn't have this moral dilemma because i wouldn't know enough to have my conscience pricked yeah totally um and being able to get serrano helps like i there's a point in the movie where i'm like you can't I, I I don't know. The, the Charles Gordon realizes that the gangster in Chicago, the heroin dealer that uh, De Niro had decided not to take money from, not to get on the payroll of, is actually Serrano. And I'm like, they just praised his intelligence the scene before. And I, I, I had figured that out. As soon as he told the story, I'm like, oh, that's Serrano, right? Yeah. But was he in the same room for every story? Like, that's the thing. It's like, I think we as an audience knew more than Groden because I, I had the exact same like, what the Maybe fuck? So. Wait, he can't be just now figuring this out. But yeah, apparently he is. You know, uh, so he like might not have the, the same information. He discussed a lot of that with the pain, Joey Pan, but I, I, I thought so a little bit. But that's the same scene I was talking about. The whole like, I don't understand why you don't take the big money because you're doing his work anyway. Mm hmm. 
We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. One of the other things I noticed in the movie is um, at the end where he gets the 300,000, right? It's more than he expected to get or more than he was hoping. He thought he'd get 100 and then Groden gives him 300 for helping him out. Uh, I couldn't help but notice how quickly after Robert De Niro thinks he's got this sure thing money in the bag, this 100,000, um, when he picks up Groden, like immediately he just finds him in new york no problem he's at his house or whatever uh grabs him and tries to put him on a plane and he splashes out for first class tickets on this flight to la he thinks he's made a hundred thousand dollars he thinks he's made it and splashes out for first class tickets this man's money is going to be gone two weeks from now he's going to spend (laughs) that three hundred thousand in exactly the time it takes for him to to get back to la yeah, I noticed that too. That like he gets he gets his first, but I I don't. I know. mean, he's got to buy his wife uh, a new car apparently <laughs> because he left that one in Texas. He's got to he's got to go back to these people whose truck he's stolen and buy them a truck. He's got to buy a new what watch. Is, what was uh, three hundred thousand worth? Um, so three hundred thousand dollars in nineteen eight is worth uh, three quarters of a million dollars today. So I'm like, if right. I got if so, so that means two hundred fifty thousand. If I got two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred fifty thousand dollars to do a job that I did in less than a day, mm-hmm. I think I might be tempted to to flash out on first class. <laughs> Especially if, this if you guy, have it like, in your hand, yeah. But if you wasn't also a stop like, to kind of like try to meet Groden halfway in the middle with his flyophobia. Wasn't what? Wasn't that like also an attempt to, you know, mollify Grodin's complaint about his flyophobia? Oh, maybe. You know, it's like, I'm yeah, gonna, like, he's it's got like, claustrophobia. Well, we'll, we'll check out the big coach. seats. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're not going to be confined as, you know, you know, all that kind of crap. But he here's the thing, though. He doesn't have the hundred thousand dollars yet. He's got Grodin, who might be worth a hundred thousand dollars if he can get him back to L.A. But then he's got to deal with Joey Pants, who's constantly stiffing him. He still hasn't paid him the twelve hundred dollars, right? True. Or no, he gets that out of his sock. He gets yeah, that out yeah, of his yeah. ridiculous sock. In he, the, does, the he does dunger, have that. So. And he has but, an but Amex card, not good right? for 100000 But he's got an Amex card. So I imagine he's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run that thing up. I'm going to charge because like, as every dollar I spend that gets me to the hundred grand is is investment, you know? And gets me reward points at 1.5%. It pays to... It, how can I? I can't afford not to spend on first class. I can't honestly. afford not to pay uh, the the fly Groden's ass first class. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just thought it's funny how quickly he's like, "Yeah, I got a hundred grand. Let me spend it." Uh, I I also really like a couple of other scenes when De Niro De Niro keeps calling back. I I don't even know half the time why he's calling back to Joey Pants just to update him on the status, and it always goes catastrophically wrong right the first time the fbi is listening in and they get on to him from uh saying where he is the the second or third or whatever time he calls back i love this scene he's like uh he he realizes the fbi is probably listening in because now he's had a run-in with him and he's like talking about the constipated guys eating garbage food in the van sitting on their asses I just want to use this in every call, every phone conversation I have now, because if you're wrong, 
<laughs> it doesn't matter, right? Like right. no one's ever going to know if you're yeah. right. You're a goddamn genius. <laughs> <laughs> Just start every phone call I have with. And these fuckers over here in this van sitting on their constipated asses. It really puts the other person on the back foot. It's like a power move, uh-huh. right? Oh, yeah. Coming out with a lot of information. Uh, what is a whip dick? Marvin uh, Dorfler at some point calls De Niro a whip dick. It's got to be referring like a pencil dick, right? Because like whips are you know, maybe long, but they're thin. Highly tapered. Oh, yeah. I guess. I don't F- know. It's finely pretty... tapered. It's a bizarre one. It's a bizarre one. <laughs> I've Whip never dick, heard it before. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be sure how to take that one myself. Yeah, I thought at first that he said limp dick. I'm like, okay, that's not the greatest insult, but the, at least I know what it means. Yeah, that's an all-purpose. Like it doesn't say anything about the size or shape of your unit. Just your mm-hmm. ability to get it up. But you know, Whip dick. I don't know. I, I've never. I've never had someone come up and make an observation about my penis to me. No, in an aggressive way. I've had almost every other thing said to me, but like I just I just feel like it's a I don't feel like it's a that's it's more of like something you do to bust balls around your buddies. Mm-hmm. Or maybe if you just are really wanting to start like if you're like in some kind of like criminal underworld and you're just wanting to provoke a fight, you start talking about people. But yeah, like that's that's weird, right? Have you has anyone ever like come up and been called said anything? Hey you you noodle no. dick. <laughs> no, not that Spaghetti I remember. Spaghetti wiener. Uh-huh. It's offensive on multiple levels, but yeah. <laughs> Wirecock. Sure. Sure. Like you, a pipe pipe you, cleaner schlong. Yeah. Narrow chode. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> Narrow uh, chode. God, that really says something about yeah, it just, the length, that's right? Something. What do you do with that? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. Uh, well, what it's is, the worst what is that? kind of chode. Hung like a tomato paste can. It's like, uh, I I also really appreciated seeing old Vegas before it turned yeah. into what I think of as Vegas now. Yeah, you've got, you've got the 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 sands right, and the, the it's it's another leaving Las Vegas. It's right there at the transition though. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. like you ten years from now, this is you know, and then it's 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 going to be abandoned and then 20 years hence from that will be revitalized uh yeah yeah i've been i've been 20 years new vegas is going to be old vegas and like seen as gauche and unhip and uncool and another part of vegas will be maybe the old vegas will be cool again yeah i was thinking about that i feel like it, so so Vegas was a place for a long time where people with money who just wanted to get away with doing whatever the hell they wanted went I feel mm-hmm. like Dubai is making a play for that oh, role wow, yeah. for the for the mega yeah. rich. And Vegas is just going to, like you said, turn into old Vegas, which is just seedy and kind of shitty and run down unless they just really lean into the family thing, which I think they're leaning more into with like a lot of shows and, and stuff know, Vegas like that. Vegas has got so much stuff like the fight culture, the sport. I mean, they, mm-hmm. now they have sports teams and sports. Although, yeah, as, especially as you... Vegas becoming less and less special because like now even in Ohio, you can have sports books. Sure. Yeah. Like, you don't have to go to a place to gamble. You can gamble. Yeah. You can play blackjack. You can play slots. You can play poker. You can, you know, bet on your favorite teams. You can do horse uh, uh, track racing. You can do any. It's, you don't have to go to a fucking boat. Just go downtown Cincinnati. So like, yeah, I wonder how sure. they'll 
um, maintained a relevancy as America's playground, especially when you said, like you said, the. <laughs> when, well, like, I mean, I mean, geez, it's right outside the city, right? Like that's that's kind of the the stake they claimed. Would you think that? I mean, I'm thinking that 30, 40 years prostitution will probably be illegal in the United States. It'll follow a similar Ooh. trajectory as gambling. I, I've seen how long it's taken weed. We're but still it's not happening. there. It's happening, it's happening, but that's that is inherently less offensive to the religious types, I think, than prostitution. It's it's gonna. Yeah. I think it's gonna be a long road to that. All right. Well, 30, like, like 30, said, 30, 30, 40 years 20, 30, is a long time. 20, 30 years. I got still in our lifetime, but hopefully. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just thought it was cool to see that old Vegas. That's all I got. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of Bald, Bald Move Prestige, talking about Midnight Run. We're going to be back. It turns out our executive producers at Patreon are sending us on a De Niro Fest, impromptu De Niro Fest. We're going to do 19. No, I don't know what the year the movie came out. Uh, it might be 1990. It's Cape Fear. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro, Juliet Lewis. Uh, who is the um, Charles Grodin? It's Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte, right? Nick Nolte is the dad. There's. Uh, I'm trying to think of who. I'm trying to think the whole cast. Oh, Jessica Lang, of course, mm-hmm. is the mom. Uh, I've never seen this. You? No, no, I haven't. 1991. It's a Martin Scorsese film too. Mm-hmm. So uh, fill another Scorsese hole for me. That's what we're going to be doing next week on Bald Move Prestige. Hope to see you there. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you in the next life, Jack. Get out of here, you bum.